Let's go to the book of Matthew together. <laughs> Mercy. This whole season since uh, this, I mean, we've, all, we, we've been on doing camera stuff, but as of late, this whole stuff of, of uh, being live, is, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a trick. Uh, it, it, you know, it's fun. It's all fun and games until somebody says something silly. Right, and then all nuts because then it's live and you can't take it back. So, for instance, I mean, uh, babe, I was so not rolling you under the bus, but you're just rolling yourself. You're, you've got you hijacked your own bus and just yeah. But but yeah, yesterday I was on a six-hour Zoom meeting, which is oh, er, the way everyone wants to spend their Saturday morning, and and even more exciting, it was a PhD seminar. So so buckle up and. Uh, and uh, so anyway, but somebody, one of my colleagues who's super, super sweet, sweet, sweet guy. I love this guy. He's a Mennonite guy. And uh, you think, well, why? And I know we're at a Pentecostal university. Don't matter. Don't do the math. Uh, and he's a, he's a Mennonite guy, and he's talking. And he's talking about something. And he said, a man, I, and he said something to the effect, and we're all on Zoom together watching. And he said, yeah, and I, I just thought, man, I was just so excited. And I thought, and I, I on camera, I went, and I started laughing. <laughs> Because I thought, no, you're not. And first of all, it's not exciting, and no one believes you. I mean, he, but he really was. But even the way he said it was like, wah, 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 wah. And I thought, but I couldn't help it. And I started laughing. And so I'm texting my wife. I'm laughing on screen with people on Zoom, and, I, and there's nothing you can do about it. Another thing that I heard yesterday on the old Zoom conference was as we were wrapping it up, the, 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 the professor leading uh, the, the, the class, it was a class on, we were talking about the, the, the volumes of Luke and Acts, and we were talking about teaching through them and whatnot, and, and uh, he, uh, <laughs> uh, his name is uh, Martin Middlestat or something, and anyway, I call him Marty, and uh, hey, Marty, and, uh, uh, and, but Marty said something like, uh, he was cautioning us or trying to encourage us to in, in, the, in, the, in, in, our, in how we approach and teaching, whatever, and, and, he, and he made the... <laughs> he made the analogy, or not the analogy, the comparison he, to kind of warn us a little bit. And he said, you know, I, I heard about one guy who spent almost three years in one gospel. <laughs> and I went, <laughs> just kind of looked down, you know, pretend I was busy. Anyway, so we're, uh, we're on week 50-something or another of the book of Matthew together. And, um, but you know what, but I, 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 but look, we're, we're in chapter 16, so we are more than halfway done. And I know people think, well, should I cheer or should I boo? We don't want to cheer because we don't sound like we don't like the book of Matthew, but we don't want to say boo because booing is bad. The good news is, uh, there's a lot more Bible. And as long as Jesus, until Jesus comes, we're going to keep going through it. Um, but we are, we're going to move through it and, but let's, let's land at uh, chapter 16 today. And what we're going to see in chapter 16 is today we reach the high point of our view of Matthew's uh, depiction, if you will, of just how big Jesus is. Not that we won't see other views as high or as wonderful, but today we hear and see something that defines for us big Jesus. Yeah, even more than... Wind and waves and, and miracles and everything else, it's what we'll hear today. Today, we'll hear that big Jesus means this. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
Very good. Amen did go there, and I, I, I assume you picked that up through the, uh, through the hints there. But Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So here we go. Let's read together. Let's try this, shall we? Uh, uh, if, you can, if you can see it in your screen, we're reading from the NIV if, you, if the screen isn't close enough to you or whatever. So uh, Faith, I'm sure you can. Uh, catch up with me. You are the, uh, we'll get to verse, I think, 17 or 18, and it switches. I'm going to look at my Bible and not the screen, okay? Here we go. Verse 13. Let's, let's read together. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked... Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. People have opinions about Jesus. I'm not, it sounds like you're aware of that. I was going to ask you, were you aware that people have opinions about Jesus? And, in, and one time now, Jesus takes his disciples up to the, re, the, the area of Caesarea Philippi. It's just below Mount Hermon there. And it's, a, it's an ancient area that used to, be, that used to host altars and, uh, to, and, and idol worship to, to Canaanite deities. And uh, then uh, Philip, the Tetrarch, went there and renamed it after himself. But So he wouldn't get in trouble. He also named it after Caesar Augustus. So, he, so it's Caesarea Philippi. They reclaimed it and renamed it, but it was still an ancient place of, of chaos, confusion, and idol worship. And I think that may be, may be one of the reasons that in this place of, of, of carnality, idolatry, and, if you will, uh, and worldly confusion, here Jesus brings his disciples and he asks them, who do people say the Son of Man is? And how they answer their response tells us that, that that back then, people had different ideas about who Jesus was. Some say John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist had been executed. He'd been beheaded. So some were saying, well, he's back, and you're him. Some were saying Elijah. It was part of Jewish tradition that the prophet Elijah would return before, before Messiah. So they said, well, maybe you're John the Baptist, or maybe, you're, or, maybe, or maybe you're Elijah, or maybe you're Jeremiah. There was a tradition that Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, would also perhaps return someday. Maybe you're him, or maybe you're one of the other prophets. They had a bunch of ideas about Jesus, Some of, and, and, and all of their ideas that they mentioned that we have in this list are all good. None of them are bad. We know that the Pharisees did say some other contrary things about him. He's in league with Beelzebub. He's, he's made a deal with the devil, all that kind of thing. But in this list, every, everybody, people are saying a bunch of good things about Jesus. And, and, what, and people are saying good things that seem to be good enough. I mean, who wouldn't want to be called John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah? Well, Jeremiah, he didn't have a great time. But I mean, one of the prophets. 
right? They, they're, they're willing, people, they're, in other words, they're saying, you know, Jesus, people are willing to say something pretty good about you. But when it comes to Jesus, pretty close or pretty good isn't close enough or good enough. You can say he's like Elijah. Ooh, or he's there. I'm willing to go. Ooh, I'm willing to go that far. I'm willing to say Jesus is a pretty good teacher. I'm willing to say he's a he's a pretty good prophet. I'm willing to say he might even know some stuff that I don't. But none of that is close enough or good enough. People, if, if we are content, if people are content to give him a pretty good name or a pretty good comparison, they will still miss out on who he really is. Because you can't say he's like something or like someone else because he isn't like anything or anyone else. And today people do the same thing. It's not unusual today for people to have differing opinions of Jesus. The truth is when it comes to Jesus, most people most of the time, still are inclined to say at least something kind. There's, a, there's not a lot, there's not a vast swath of the populace that if you bring up the name of Jesus, they'll go, Daw, I hate that guy. They might say, I don't like his followers. I don't like them Jesus freaks. But, but they might not say, oh, I hate that guy. But if you ask them, well, who is he? They're, they're, they, they probably... You know, I hate to say this, but it, it's, it, just, it just, hmm. Back when, um, a couple of elections ago, a couple of election cycles ago, when uh, on one ticket there was a former governor, on the, on, the, on the other ticket there was a former community organizer. That was their words. Uh, uh, one of the Hollywood celebrities got, a, got, into a micro, got up in front of a microphone and said, well, you know, Pilate was a governor, but Jesus was a community organizer. See, the thing is, people love, people even actually love Jesus, especially when they can remake him in their own image or agenda. They can remake Jesus or claim him for their their agenda or their image, then, hey, then Jesus is just all right with me. Do, 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 do. But then Jesus leans in and asks the question. What about you? Who do you say that I am? There's something quite gripping about this question. I, I, at least I pray that it is. I pray that in this room and, and with us uh, streaming, that you hear Jesus say, but what about you? So, you know, sometimes it's even easy to sort of hang back with the crowd or just sort of agree. Oh, yeah, I, I agree with everybody else, what they're saying. Kind of hide in the crowd. But here's what Jesus does. If I could do this without bothering folks today, Jesus sort of squeezes the crowd apart and looks around and looks right into your eyes, Todd, Kevin, and says, well, what about you? Who do you see? And in a way that's not revealed here, but that the Bible, the Scripture reveals to us as we read the rest of it, the truth is that is a question that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords will and will ask every single person. They will stand before Him, and He and they will have to answer that question, or at least 
give an account for how they have answered that ask. Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But what about you, Jesus asked? Who do you say that I am? That is, this is the most important question you will ever answer. Now, I want to say this carefully without sounding offensive, but I think you get the point. Who you say Jesus is does not really make any difference to him. He's not taking a poll, and he's not asking for your vote. He's not insecure. He's not asking for likes on his profile. Jesus is who he is. So who you say, it's not that it makes a significant difference to him, but it will make all the difference for you. How you answer that question will make all the difference for you. Uh, how you answer that question will determine your life today and forever. Who do you say that I am? But it's important that you understand what Jesus means. Who do you say that I am? Who do you confess that I am? What not not a passing opinion, not a quick answer, but who do you really say that I am? What, and, and meaning, what is your life? What is, it, what is the whole conviction of your life? Down at the bottom of you, all the way from the bottom of you to the outside of you, who do you say Jesus is? Who you say he is will determine who you are when no one is looking or when everyone is looking, it'll determine who you are and what you do when the chips are down or the chips are up or the pressure's on or the pressure's off. Who you say that Jesus is will be revealed in how you invest your time and what you do with priorities, how you treat people, what you do with your money. Who, see, if you, if you don't believe Jesus Christ, he, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, then he, you won't follow him as Lord. He won't be Lord over every part part and parcel of your life. And it's, it'll be obvious. You can be a fan. Give Jesus a thumbs up. He's not looking for a thumbs up. He's looking for lives that are laid down. He's looking for people who will die for him and live for him. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, and then Matthew gives us, because he, he the translators help us, Matthew gives us the uh, the, the transliterated uh, Hebrew, you are the Messiah, the Messiah, the Greek Christos. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Here it is, friends. Peter answer, it, Peter's answer is the highest, most developed articulation. It is the most comprehensive description of Jesus in the Gospels. Now, that doesn't mean that, 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 that Peter had sat back and read through volumes of material, had bought a pipe, and, went, and, had, and, and began to articulate a fully, a, we would say in the academy, a fully orbed. To be fully orbed means it's all rounded out, I guess. A fully orbed Christology. Aren't you glad that people don't talk like that normal? Mercy. I even said it on Saturday morning. I stopped and said, I have no idea what you're talking about. Just use words. (laughs) 
It's not that Peter had a fully orbed, a fully developed Christology. Dev, why are you talking about that? Because Jesus isn't asking whether you can explain everything there is to understand about who he is. He's not asking if you have an advanced degree in, in Jesus. He just wants to know from the bottom of your heart, do you believe whether you understand it all or not? Do you believe that he is the Christ, the son of a living God? Because that is the definition of big Jesus. When, when Peter said, you are the Christ, I, we need to f- try to feel what was happening. This is a man l- grew, growing up as a Jewish man, trained, gone, gone to synagogue his whole life. He told all the stories. Peter, at five years old, he went to synagogue, started memorizing the book of Leviticus at five years old. He, he began to hear all the stories over and over again, was taught the, all, of, all of the rabbinical tradition about what to expect, that, that the entire consciousness of first century Judaism rotated around the expectation of, the anticipation of Messiah. You can read that in your Gospels. I dare you. Read through the book of John. Every other page, somebody is saying, is the, is the phrase, expected one. Are you the one we're expecting? Are you the one? They're expecting Messiah. There's the, there was, it was white, hot expectancy. All of the literature for 200 years before this moment was writing about somebody who was coming. In what we call the, the Apocrypha and the Pseudepigrapha, the Jewish literature of the day, that the Holy Spirit was stirring people everywhere. They expected someone. But it wasn't just a fresh expectation. It was an expectation that began at the beginning. When he said, you are the Christ, he meant you are the the anticipated one and you are the anointed one. You are our hopes. You are our dreams. You're the reason we pray. You're why we get up in the morning. You're the one we've been looking for. You You are the solution. You are the hope. You are the desire of nations. It's you. It's you. It's you. It's only you. There's no one else. You're the one. You are the anticipated one. In Genesis chapter 3, Man, man is created in the image of God in perfection and then, and then decides to rebel against God and define for himself what is right and wrong. And in that fall, there is a separation, there is a shame, there is a disconnect, there is a brokenness. That the, that the image bearer is now, has, now, has now been broken. There is heartache. There is pain that will, be, that, is, that will be set in motion, that will be inherited after generation. Mankind is doomed to hopelessness. Except that God says to the serpent, cursed are you for this serpent. Revelation says the devil is the serpent of old. Cursed are you, serpent, you're going to crawl on the ground. He said, but. Somebody's coming. You've sown this. You've sown this wickedness and there's brokenness. He said, but somebody's coming. He said, he said, I'm going to, there's, I'm going to put enmity between you, Eve, and, and, her, and, and between you, serpent, and her offspring. Offspring is singular. One person. In Genesis 3, God speaking to Adam and Eve said, there's one person who's coming, who's going to fix this. And he's going to crush your head with his heel. He's not just going to cope with this, he's going to crush it. Big Jesus. Come on, Jesus didn't come to cope with your sin. He didn't come to cope with the devil. 
he came to crush it. See, there's really something to be excited about. This is the one they hoped for. Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham and he said, I'm going to, through you, through your offspring, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He repeats it again in chapter 2 and verse 18, and he says it very specifically. Through your seed, through a very one individual, Abraham, there's going to be one person that comes from your line. And through that one person, there will come a blessing to every nation on the earth. When Peter said, you are the Christ, he said, you're the one we were waiting for. You're the anticipated one. Numbers chapter 17 or Numbers chapter 24, rather, in verse 17, a prophet had been hired to curse the people of Israel as they left the land of, of Egypt, and they were marching toward the promised land. A prophet had been hired to curse them, so he's, and, he, and twice he blesses them instead. <laughs> and the king who hired him said, enough is enough. So he said, well, give me one more chance. I'll try to curse them one more time. So he climbs up to an even higher place where he can look upon the entire multitude as they're crossing the land. Scholars will tell us that's easily two million people scattered across. And from this mountainside, he looks up and he sees two million people. You got to catch this. And he takes a breath. He sees two million people. And what does he say? He says, I see him. I see. He said, but he said I see him, but, but not now. I behold him, but not near. He said, a star would rise, a scepter would in other words, the entire narrative of the Old Testament is this. Somebody's coming. Somebody's coming. Who's going to fix this? Who's going to restore you? Who's going to crush the head of the devil? Somebody's coming. And as, and as the scriptures unfold, it, it becomes more and more clear. Do, Moses says to the people of Israel, God will raise up a prophet like me. One. Not several. One. There's, so there's one more. There's one coming who's going to be like me. I'm a type, a shadow of him, and you need to listen to him. Second Samuel chapter 7, David wants to build a temple. And the Lord says, nope. And he says, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring, one, to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. But listen to this. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish his kingdom forever. Somebody, when he, what he said to David was, you're not going to do this, but somebody's coming. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. The prophet looks up, he looks into the, he looks up and the Lord gives him a view of, of something, of the future, and he sees, he says, the people, what he sees is this, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. He's speaking of it in past tense as if it's already happened, but he's looking into the future because somebody's coming. Would you say it with me? Somebody's coming. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For... Why do we only read this in December? For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. He will be called Mighty God. See, Jesus isn't named after God like some Israelite king. He's, his name is God. L. Mighty God. 
everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. He is the anticipated one. And he is the anointed one. He is, the one, he is the one upon whom the Holy Spirit will come, descend, and remain upon. And he is the one who, the, John said, the one, he's, he, the one who I see the Spirit come, come and remain upon. He is the one who will baptize in the Spirit. He is the anointed one. He is the Christ, the, the Messiah, the Messiah, the one who is rubbed upon, the oil, the application. He is the one who bears the Spirit of God uniquely, more, than, more so than anyone else, and in such a way that he alone will share that anointing with all who call on his name. He is the expected one and he is the anointed one. You can look at Isaiah chapter 11 and Isaiah chapter 61 and see how the prophet anticipates the one who is coming will be powerfully anointed with the spirit and that anointing has come to bring breakthrough, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captive free, to be to to comfort those who mourn, to give them beauty instead of ashes, to give them the garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair that he is coming and he is going to crush the devil. He is going to bring restoration. He is going to bring righteousness. He is going to bring healing. He is the one. And Peter looked up and said, you are him. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus turned to him and said, blessed. In church, we're supposed to say blessed. I don't know why. Blessed are you, Simon, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. He's simply saying, I know that you didn't phone a friend. I know that you didn't find that in a book. This is something that heaven has spoken to your heart. You, this was a, at this moment, at this time, this was brand new. Boom. This was the first time somebody said that. Do you feel that? In other words, so, something just happened. You've got to feel the shock and the awe. Remember, so much of Matthew is intended. We, if, you, if we read the Gospels, any of the Bible, if you read these Gospels, and we don't go, <gasps> then we're missing the point. That, 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 that Simon Peter would say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The readers would, should gasp in shock and awe and wonder. And then take a double take and say, that's the first time on the planet that, 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 that the... That, the, that an image bearer accurately beheld the Son of the living God, looked up and saw who he was supposed to be. Jesus Christ embodying humanity as humanity was designed, but also embodying and, and, and being to us God in the flesh, anointed by the Holy Spirit. And this is the first time this is the shot heard around the world. This is the lightning that struck the first time and nothing has ever been the same. You need to feel this. This is so much more than, hey, good job, Peter. You got the right answer. <laughs> this is more like, Peter, you have no idea what just happened. You just came into agreement with heaven. You're the first person 
who just stepped into agreement with heaven. And from now on, from, that, from this moment on, nothing will be the same. So you're blessed, boy. You're blessed. And you know what? You might say, well, I wish I could be blessed. You can be. All you need to do is to see and to say what Simon did. There is no greater blessing than seeing who Jesus is and coming into agreement with him. You can be blessed the same way. There's a blessing on every person who will say, I, I believe, I say, I confess, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is the, that confession, friends, change the world. That confession, that belief is the crux. It is the foundation. It is the core of everything we believe. That is our faith. Our faith is Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And here's the, the rest of the story. Jesus is building his church on the faith of those who follow him. Verse 18 says, I, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Hmm. It's disappointing that you're too quiet. I, Jesus says, I will build my church. I'm, I'm, I'm going to come back to it. I see it in my notes here. The word build is in all capitals, so I'm sure I'll give myself a minute. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That's the new living. The gates of Hades um, will not overcome. I think growing up we heard, maybe it was the King James, it, uh, we heard growing up saying that the gates of hail shall not prevail. And you had to say hail in the way that rhymed with prevail, right? You know? But I, I mean, that's the, way I, that's the way I memorized it. The gates of hail will not prevail. Jesus said, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. What do you mean? What, what did Jesus mean by rock? There's a lot of paper and ink that's spilled. People want to fuss about this. And here's what I want to say. Simmer down. Rock. They say, well, ah, is the rock Peter? Is he the rock? Uh, is the rock his confession? It's his confession, right? Or is it the content of his confession? Uh, what's the answer? What is it? Yes. The answer is yes. What do you mean, yes? Well, who was the first person to say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God? Peter! He's the first person to say it right there on the planet in the history of mankind. He's the first person to say, he's the first person to come into agreement. He said something. He, by his confession, under the inspiration of heaven, set something in motion. What he sent, what he set in motion, very quietly, very, where did he set it in motion? In Jerusalem, on the high top of the, of the temple, on the Temple Mount? No, bottom of Mount Hermon, in a, for, in, in a former idol worshiping place in the middle of nowhere, named after an egotist and a and a pagan king right in the middle of the darkness he plants a flag and says jesus is lord right in the middle right in the centerpiece of idolatry and confusion he planted a flag and said ah that jesus christ is lord wow you better believe he's a rock you better believe he's that's a, that's where that's where it started that's where that confession started 
He's the first person to have said it. And then after the day of Pentecost had fully come and the Holy Ghost had fell upon all in the upper room and they all lifted up their voice and began to worship the, the, the God of heaven and earth in other, in other languages and with spiritual phenomenon, pneumatological phenomenon, and a crowd gathered outside and said, we don't understand what's going on. We hear, they're praising God and we all understand him in different languages. Other people said, ah, horseradish, they're all just wasted drunk. What was the answer? Yes. No, but, but, but after that day, the, the first person to stand up in the city of Jerusalem and say, these are not drunk as you suppose. But what the short story he said, he said, God has made this Jesus Lord and Christ. He was the first person to announce it in the streets of Jerusalem. And a few years later, he finds himself inexplicably in the home of a Roman centurion named Cornelius. He's in a, he is in a Gentile house, absolutely, over, absolutely shunned against the Jewish law, against tradition. Don't go there. But now he's in a Gentile home, and he stands up and he says, I give up. Read it, Acts chapter 10. I give up. No, he did. He said, I give up. He said, I recognize that God is, he's letting everybody in. <laughs> Anybody who will fear him, anybody who will call on his name, he's letting everybody in. So he, so he starts telling him, God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And he said, but he was handed over and he was crucified. But God raised him up. And, he'll be, and he will judge the living and the dead. But know this, when then Peter said to the Gentiles, as soon as these words came out, but in his, there is forgiveness of sins in his name. And when the, the, the announcement that there was forgiveness of sin, that sin could be cleansed, was announced to that Gentile house, heaven had waited long enough. Heaven had been waiting to break loose in the world outside of those boundaries, and heaven burst open and came upon that Gentile house. And they, and they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. And Peter and his buddies looked around and said, well, they got it. They're the same as us. So, yeah, Peter was the first person to say it on the planet. He was the first person to announce it in Jerusalem. He was the first person to announce it to a Gentile. So, yeah, yeah, he's part of the rock. But he's not the rock. Church isn't built on Peter. The church is built on, I believe we sing, on Christ the solid rock. Peter's confession, the content of it, the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. His confession is part of that. That is what Jesus is building. Jesus is building his church on this faith. On this faith, he is not building his church on those who, again, who are, who are just fans of Jesus, who think Jesus is just all right, shoo do doo The church will be built on the rock of the confession of those who say, I believe, I say with my mouth and my life, Jesus is the Christ. And he will build his church. Jesus is building his church. It's getting larger and stronger. Do you believe Jesus Christ is building his church? He is. He is building his church. It is getting larger and stronger all around the world. Persecution, even to this day, persecution is going on all around the world. It's, it's, it's going everywhere, but Jesus is building his church. 
one of the fastest growing, uh, one of the places on the planet that the church of Jesus Christ is growing exponentially fast is in a place, once again, back in the day we used to say they used to think the church was dead in China. After they closed it down and the wall and everything, they thought, well, that's it for the church there. Then we got a glimpse and we found out that there were millions of them. Millions and millions of them. And we said, whoa, he's building his church. And then they told us that, that under the dark power of of, uh, of, uh, of, 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 uh, of, of Persia and is Islam, that the church could never prosper. The church would be shut down. The church would lose. One of the places that the church is growing most exponentially right now is the nation of Iran, where it's totally illegal to even confess his name. It's not stopping him. Why? Because the Christ, the son of the living God, first of all, he hasn't asked anybody permission. <laughs> He's building his church. And he said to Peter, I'm going to build my church and not even the gates of Hades. Not even the most, the, the best way to probably approach that is to understand, not even, no, not even the power of death itself or the powers or the agents of evil and death, nothing will be able to contain, to restrict, to hinder or overcome the church. If the gates of Hades will not overcome the church, tell me what will. Nothing. Nothing. One day, death itself will be cast into the lake of fire, but the church of Jesus Christ will live forever. I think, I think it might be a good time for us to stop and perhaps review and revise our view of the church. The church of Jesus Christ is not fragile. We aren't afraid. We aren't disposable. We don't have to worry about bruised egos. The church of Jesus Christ is being built by Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God, and nothing, nothing will overcome. I believe it's time that you, I, I, I believe it's time that all of us, I mean, I, I, I'm trying to get under the weight of this myself in a fresh way, that we revise our view of the church, of who we are. Lord, help us to live and to act and to pray and to serve and to give and to be the church that says that we cannot even be, we can't be overcome even by the gates of hell itself. And then he said, then Jesus said that his church would be the regent of heaven on earth. The word regent means it's, it's someone who acts in the stead of a sovereign. There's a sovereign authority who commissions or delegates that authority to a regent. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. And then he turns and he says, I'm going to give you the keys. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The keys of the kingdom, there's, there, that literally means that the, the church of Jesus Christ, those who say, those who confess, 
those who say Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, those people, that group, that congregation, they have access to heaven. And they have the authority of heaven behind them. And then he says, whatever you bind will be bound. Whatever you loose will be loose. Now, it's, it's, a, it's a future passive in the Greek. It, sounds like, it kind of sounds like whatever you bind will have been bound. And, it, and it's tricky. It's not meant to be tricky. It sounds exactly like the Lord's Prayer. It, when, when, the, when Jesus taught us to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. What he's saying is, I'm giving you the keys. The blueprint, the template is heaven. The plan, the ideal, what you see in heaven, how it is in heaven, my will in heaven, that is the, the moral and spiritual authority that you are to exercise on the earth. You are to exercise. You are to enforce. If, if heaven is going to prevail, it must be through a church who believes it has the keys. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone he was the Messiah. Let me give you a quick exegetical clue. Everything applies to you in verses 13 through 20, except for verse 20. Please stop obeying verse 20. <laughs> well, I just want to obey the Bible. <clears throat> you see, everything that Jesus talked about was about to break loose. It was about to shake things up. The earth was about to never be the same, but it wasn't time yet. He still had a suffering to endure. The cross and the resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there was, there was more left for him to do. So he said, hang on, boys. Don't say anything yet. For them, the time had not come. For us, it's been time a long time. For you and I, it's been time a long time. For you and I, you are. We remain the rock upon which he is building. He is building his church. He is building it larger. He is building it stronger. And, and come what may, there isn't, listen, don't, stop panicking. Stop forwarding every single uh, internet worry. And st stop forwarding them to me for crying out loud. I wonder if Pastor Dave has seen this. Yes, he has, by 17 other people. <laughs> what I want to know is, if, have, you heard, have you seen this? Right, right. Hey, Pastor Dave, have you, have you seen that YouTube? Have you heard what Jesus said? He's building his church. He's looking for people who believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's looking for a few more rocks to add to his church. He's, he's looking for a few more building blocks. He's looking to build his church bigger, larger, more powerful. It, and of his kingdom, of his government, there, it's, uh, of his increase, there will be no end. His government will never cease to increase. But he's looking for people who say, I believe with their heart, with their life, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if they believe that, they need to believe this, that, they, that he has authorized this church to be the regent of heaven on earth. To say, it's time. We've got to exercise the moral and spiritual authority of heaven. If it's going to look more like heaven, it's got to be up to us. Big Jesus. I got to close. I've gone way too long. It's, it's somebody's fault. 
Just three statements. What should we do? The church of Jesus Christ must be about heaven's business. We, sh- we must believe that Jesus is building his church on this belief, this faith. He is building his church on the faith of those who will say, I believe, I say, Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. So ultimately, it all depends and rests upon how you answer the question. Who do you say Jesus is? Not even who'd you say he was a while ago. What's the condition of your confession right now? Who do you say Jesus is? What does it look like? Let's stand today as we close this morning. I want to thank you for your patience. Stay with us online. Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads across this house with me? And if you're watching with us online, still take a moment and pray with me. I may not be able to see you, but I know the Lord Jesus is with you. with your heads bowed across this house, let me just ask you this question. How will you, how will you answer that question today? Who do you say Jesus is? I know a great deal of you fairly well. I don't know everybody completely. But is there anybody here who for the first time or perhaps in a long time would just say, "I, I want to say that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. You might be watching with us online. You may be present with us here in this room. But I want to give everybody a chance, an opportunity for that confession. Would you lift up your heart and lift up your eyes, even heavenward, Just talk to Jesus out loud with me, and I want you just to make this confession with me. I'm going to ask, we're going to say, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus, I believe you are. You ready? We're going to start with Jesus. You ready? Jesus, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now that you rehearsed it, let's say it like you really mean it, and I pray that you will. Jesus is saying, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Lord, I pray that you receive that confession of faith, that you recognize it. And I pray, Lord, that by your Spirit, you would breathe freshly upon every heart and life, that we would believe freshly, newly, robustly upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, we would see the church the way you see it, and we would be the church the way you want us, the way you are designing and building us to be. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. As in heaven, so on earth. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. If you have an amen, would you let it out? Can we give the Lord praise together? Can we do that? Lord, we give you thanks and praise. Friends, thanks so much for being here today. I've gone way over time. Make sure to smile at someone and tell them, you know, we watched a movie or something. As folks are coming or going, make sure that you wave at someone. Be kind. Be kind to those on your way out. There's still some coffee and cookies in the cafe.
you'd like prayer, you know, if you'd like prayer, I'll pray with you if you'd like to come back and hang out here a little bit.